This is Wade Major along with Mark Kaiser. And we'd like to welcome you to the uh, Digigods podcast on this unfortunately not very uh, optimistic week. Um, our, our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to uh, all of our friends and listeners in Paris and, uh, and in Europe, uh, the extended European family. Uh, hopefully you're all safe and, and not too uh, shaken by the events in Paris. And uh, hopefully life can get back to normal for everybody at some point soon. Okay, can I say something unpopular? Yes, by all <laughs> means do it. Okay. Now, the friends that I have in France, yes, I emailed them individually yeah. to them. Who emailed by me. Yes. When I go on Facebook and I see all these people saying prayers for France, we love you, France, let's think we're all thinking about France, I have to call BS on that. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you're from France, I'm not yeah. talking about that. I'm talking about the guy in Boise, Idaho, who says prayers for France. Yeah. I think a lot of those, yeah. a lot of those uh, posts, they're narcissistic. They... People post like bandwagon posts. It's their bandwagon post. It's yeah. really it's just people saying it's not about France. It's about saying, look at me, look how nice I am. Yes. It's, it's narcissistic. I appreciate the sentiment, um, but uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, you 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 want people to be supportive, but you want them to be sincere at the same time. Uh, here here's sort of uh, I mean I have you know I have a relative in Paris on the outskirts not in a good neighborhood uh, I got a friend in the city of Saint-Mandé which is basically like a little tumor on Paris it just kind of sits there on the uh, on the eastern side uh, and I know what you know and I, and I have uh, people I've you know I know through work and whatnot so um, you know I know people in Paris and a friend of mine a very good friend of mine that I used to work at Air France with literally came home uh, two days before she was there visiting family. And then, uh, you know, the day of the Charlie Hebdo attacks in January, 10 months ago, um, my wife would have, would normally have been arriving there that day. That was the day she was scheduled to arrive, but they didn't, they didn't go. So, you know, knock on wood, but, uh, in any case, and, and also sending a shout out not to be forgotten as well to anybody in Lebanon. I don't know that we have any listeners in Lebanon, but I'm sure we have a lot of family members who may have, a lot of uh, listeners who may have family members in Lebanon, so our our hearts our hearts and thoughts and prayers go out to them as well. Um that kind of got overshadowed I think because people are just sort of accustomed to bombings in Lebanon and I don't think people go to go to Lebanon to vacation. So um you know, they sort of overlooked that and the news didn't really report it very well but again that was that was a hit in Lebanon as well and that's horrible uh so we will uh, we will carry on with the show and and try to uh you know elevate your spirits a little bit and uh, do the best that we can cover uh, all of these wonderful titles mark welcome back thank you sorry about the mets so tragic <laughs> so close, but yet. Well, you know what's funny is that you know we did not deserve to win that series. We made the Royals were very good. That, that they really exploited could. our weaknesses. However, given all that, you realize that three of the four games we lost, we were leading those games in the eighth inning or later. I, I noticed. So that. it wasn't like it was just a bunch of blowouts. Yeah. You know, so as poorly as we played and as good as the Royals are. If our closer, you, you're, you're, if our closer did not set a major league record by blowing three saves in a World yeah, Series, yeah. <laughs> if he didn't blow any of those saves, we'd be world champions. Ah, oh, well. And by the way, I, I know what you're asking yourself. It's going to be a good team next year. No, it's not. No, no. <laughs> D- Daniel Murphy's already gone. Uh, Cespedes oh. is gone. 
So it's pretty much going to be the same thing we had last year, which is we're, we're all pitching no hit. Unless we, uh, unless we make an amazing trade for mm. a big bat, because we need a big bat. By the way, I just before we talk about DVDs and yes. Blue, and we have a Vox box today. Yes, we know. No, no. no. Wait. Yes. I would like to. Uh, 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 I would like you to answer a question for me. Sure. I went to three of the World Series games. That's why I was in New York. Yes. I went to games three, four, and five. Yes. Uh, how much do you think I paid for a ticket? Now, uh, there was only two hundred dollars difference between the three tickets. Let's just say I'll just let's put, yes. I'll put one number on it. What do you think was the amount I paid for each of those three tickets? Uh, Six hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, you are you crapping me? <laughs> I would have. I, w- I would. That would have been the most amazing day of my life if um, I. Um, eleven hundred. Oh, I wish. Two thousand. No, less than that. Fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred dollars. Oh my gosh. Cost me fifteen hundred dollars. So it was fifteen hundred dollars a ticket, eight hundred dollars to fly to New York. Now, luckily, I had a free place to stay. So you know what? I, I was talking to a ticket broker because that was the only way I can get tickets. And uh, you know, it just became one of those YOLO things. <laughs> you just, just do it. You know what? Just swallow hard and just do it wow. because okay. I don't know when it's going to happen again. And I had a great time. I mean, you know, great. You know, there's a that's grading on a curve yeah. in terms of a great time. But um, but it was it was fantastic. I, I'll I'll say this in my life, I've been to uh, eight World Series games. So far, I wow. am I am two and six. In the eight World Series games, I don't think you should I go think. anymore. You're kind of the kiss of death. I'm, I'm two and six. Yeah, you, you and you and Pop Cartwright, you guys should not really. Who? Uh, Pop Cartwright. Bonanza. Yeah. Is he two and six going to World no, Series? No, but he's the kiss of death. Don't you? You don't you remember? All of those boys are from different moms. Like they all died. It's like every <laughs> How woman. Do you remember that? Every woman he marries, they they like have they like have a son and then she dies. He just he somehow he just he, they all die in childbirth because he he just. I don't know. It's horrifying. Anyway. Well, you know, you know what killed him? Having sex with Lauren Green. <laughs> Must That's be. what killed him. Must be. Anyway. Uh, so, listen. Also want to... A uh, little bit of housekeeping uh, right up top. Um, uh, please continue to uh, visit the, uh, the digigods.com and uh, check out the, the rundown of the shows every week. We have them hyperlinked to Amazon. For your convenience, let us know if you if you like the way we do it. We've had some suggestions. Some people would like for us to uh, annotate the list with our recommendations, as opposed to just having a, a an alphabetical list of the titles we cover. Um, I want to make that you know going into when we we finally get everything up and going on the website. I want that to be as user friendly as possible. So uh, please check that out. Let us know how that works for you, and um, send us intros. We need more intros. Need a lot more intros from listeners. By all means, we're soliciting intros. So send us your intros, your listener mail, and your Vox boxes to gods at digigods.com. Any newcomers, a Vox box is an audio question. Record yourself in any audio format asking a question. We'll clip it into the show and answer it. Um, and we, we have had uh, the recommendation to do an all Vox box show. We don't have enough Vox boxes. Well, we don't have enough Vox boxes yet. So load us up with Vox boxes so that uh, one of the shows during our hiatus, we might be able to uh, chime in there. Um, Mark will, of course, be gone again for a bit in December because uh, work is loading you down with something top secret. I'm not even going to inquire. It's not top secret. Well, whatever it is. (laughs) You know, I know you're doing... uh, Well, I'll I'll be gone for Thanksgiving. You'll be gone, yeah. I'm going to New York, going back to New York for Thanksgiving. But you will be here for next week for yes. the holiday show. Indeed I will. And then you'll be taking off. 
So next week, big holiday show. Got big things. Uh, we got interviews, Mark. Got interviews. I know. It's exciting. Interviews. I was there. Yep. We got interviews. By the way, can I call you out on something? Go ahead. On digigods.com. Go yes. to digigods.com if you want to read the worst metadata ever. Yeah. Okay. From last this, week? Is, this, is the, this is the metadata from last week. And then yeah, we'll talk about DVDs because this is taking too long. See, Mark usually writes the metadata. And last week I decided to write it because I okay. just I couldn't control myself. With Mark still away, Wade and Tim... Our good friend Tim Cockshell. Wade and Tim run a Royal Hollywood gamut from Burt Reynolds, listener doesn't care, Sidney Poitier, listener doesn't care, Susan Hayward, listener doesn't know who that is, W.C. Fields, maybe listener might have heard of them possibly, Dirk Bogart, forget that, that's a non, that's a non-starter. <laughs> now you're going, Amy Schumer, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Naomi Watts, Jackie Chan, those are good. Dr. Goldfoot, no one knows who that is. Dr. Terror, I guess that was the guy with the manable. No one knows what that is. This metadata is terrible. Well, You're supposed that's... to entice people to listen to the show. I... Not, not go, oh, my God, we're going to talk about Dirk Bogart and Susan Hayward. I can't wait to download that. Yeah, there we go. That's, right. that's what I do. That's what I do. Yeah, I mean, just, you let me write the metadata. I will. I will. So, um, and um, there was something else I was going to talk about at the top of the show, and it has completely slipped my mind. But, uh, you know, anyway. Is there a comment section on the DigiGuys? There's not. Uh, I think you can. I think you Is can. Is there a comment, comment section on the DigiGuys? No the... Well, there's no point in doing it because eventually, when they will, the, the comment section will be significant on the, on, the, uh, on the website when that goes up because it will have its own comment thing. You mean Synagogues? The Synagogues site, the DigiGuys page on the Synagogues site. That's yes. going to be my new outlet, my new movie reviewing outlet. Absolutely. Yep. It is. Yes, I know. I We're going to put all kinds of incendiary blog stuff up there. And, uh, can I talk about how, how people who post uh, uh, We Love You France? And Paris on Facebook are just narcissists. Sure, why not? Because lose all truth. of our listeners. <laughs> but but seriously, we'll we'll do a combination box box and listener mail if we don't get enough box boxes. But send us both listener mail. No <laughs> listener mail box boxes. Send us everything at uh, gods at digigods dot com, and uh, we will uh, we'll have a lot of fun next week, and then on through the holidays. Hope everybody has a, everybody has a great time. All right, goodbye. No, good night, everyone. That's good the night. show. Yeah. The show is nothing but housekeeping. So uh, why don't we... Do it in the road? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, you know what, Mark? I have a stack here. Every once in a while, we will cover cover the uh, LGBT titles. Oh, let's start with that. You know yeah, what? Shall we, we start actually, with that? Are we actually, for the, metadata this, for the metadata for this week, <laughs> I'm going to uh, list every one of these movies. <laughs> we'll cover that this later This week, in the show. Dishonored Bodies. Yeah, I thought you'd be amused by that suggestion. Uh, so let's see. We've got classic, you, classic movies or new movies. You know, it's like new movies. Come on, people want new movies. Uh, crying out Jesus! You know, like you know, you want them to kind of hope hope that that comes later in the show, right? But it, it, but people listen to this on an okay. iPod. They just scroll back and forth anyway. All right, fine. So be it. So uh, let's. By see. the way, how come some people's okay? Here's a pet peeve. Yes. So be it, right? Yeah. So anyway, let's. Uh, anyway, so that's the way it is. So be it. Some people say, so be it. They put the emphasis on the it. Yeah, you know so what be I say? It. Sobieski, as in Lily Sobieski. What happened to her? By the way, uh, I'm looking at Paper Towns, and I, I have to say that um, uh, I watched uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girls late on that. Which which I really like. It's good. I think it's great. That kid is good. Uh, he's good, yeah. You know, is very um, yeah. Paper Towns, not, it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a low-rent version of it, but it's sort of like the version that's not as good. Well, it was written by the same guy who wrote uh, The Fault in Our Stars. What's yeah. his name? Uh, John Green. Which is a more serious version of the of Me and Earl and Dying Girl. Yeah, th- this yeah. is definitely not as uh, this is not not as effective. Um, it's a little more, you know, the, the thing with uh, Me and straighter. Earl. 
Yeah, the thing with Fault on Our Stars and Me and Earl is that it deals with pretty heavy subject matter in two completely different ways. Um, this one deals in a typical subject matter in a typical way. It's kind of a road trip movie, but um, directed by a guy Jake Shearer, and uh, you know uh, he definitely can work with young actors, I guess. But yeah. that's really all it's got going for it. Uh, I, I, you know, I Cara Delevingne, she makes the gossip rags a lot. I don't know who she is or what she does. All I know is that she's in this movie. Okay, and she looks like she's sixteen. Although in real life, she's not 16. Well, anyway, it's a uh, Blu-ray DVD digital HD, meaning ultraviolet combo set from the good people at 20th Century Fox. Not much by way of special features, deleted scenes, alternate scene, uh, some featurette, usual uh, EPK stuff. Uh, gag reel, it's okay. Um, yeah, you know, probably probably a better rental than, uh, than, a, uh, than a, a, a to own. Um, you know, uh, there's an interesting film here called The Young and Prodigious T.S. Spivet. You know about this, Mark? I do not. This is a Jean-Pierre Genet film. that did what? not get a, Jean-Pierre Genet film? That did not get a theatrical release. Crazy. Uh, yeah, wacky, right? Uh, it's the strangest thing. Blah. So, So here's the deal. This thing was made two years ago, and uh, no one ever picked it up for release here, which I find just utterly inconceivable um it is uh it, it's not it's not terrible i mean it's you know it's got hell on the bottom carter and, and you know it's got a decent decent cast in it uh it is based on a children's book that i am not familiar with which is some kind of bestseller called the young and prodigious t.s pivot and uh i uh I, I just, I don't know, man. Um, this, this completely went under the radar. But anyway, they uh, they sent this to us, and, uh, I, you know, I, I glanced a little bit at it. It literally arrived yesterday, so I have not watched the whole thing, cannot speak to it completely. To get a Blu-ray of this, they only sent me the DVD. The Blu-ray apparently is an Amazon uh, manufacturer on demand. So... I'm, you know, as much of this as I watched, I thought it's, it's typical Genet, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's nicely photographed. I can only evaluate the DVD. I can only imagine the, the Blu-ray looks substantially better. Um, nicely photographed. No extras on here. Um, it's, it kind of has a rolled doll feel to it with this kid, you know, and his journey and the whole thing. It's sort of got a James and the Giant Peach vibe to it. But um, I, I can't imagine that any that this thing is it was such a turnoff to anybody that, that no American studios wanted to release it, that no one wanted to pick it up. No Weinstein, no Fox Searchlight, no no Green Street, no nobody. I mean, it's, it, I figured somebody should have wanted to grab this. But anyway, um, there it is. So go figure, a Jean-Pierre Genet film that got no love from any distributor anywhere. Very strange. Uh, speaking of strange, Wade, um, the end of the tour with Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. Now, this movie, um, I, I have a um, – the issue I have with this movie is not that it's a bad movie. It's actually probably a good movie. My issue is that uh, the movie is about uh, – Nothing the, happens. No. It kind of doesn't. Yeah, that's true. But the movie is about the late author David Foster Wallace, who I was a huge, huge fan of. I, I saw him speak, and I was very upset when he committed suicide a couple of years ago. And so I really resisted seeing this movie because I felt like it was just going to be everyone playing dress up and pretending that they're David. Because David Foster Wallace was such an odd, iconoclastic, unique, brilliant, genius figure yeah. that it seemed like Jason Siegel would just put on a bandana and, and pretend just, he's David Foster Wallace right. and he's just going to be lame. He, he kind of nails it. I think he kind of he he sort of nailed it. He kind of nails it. I, I, it's, it's an interesting performance. 
is probably the only thing that I think is significant about seeing the film. Um, it reminds me a tiny bit of the, uh, and now I'm drawing a total blank on it. Star Wars? Uh, no, no, no. The uh, Elijah Wood movie that came out just a few months ago, Black and White. Uh, where uh, he basically he's it's the similar story based on uh, on the uh, on a journalist's memoirs of uh, hanging out with uh, Dylan Thomas during his big New York tour and his big drunken escapades. Um, oh yeah, that was. Um, hang on, I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking yeah, of it. Thinking, 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 it's uh, uh, something uh, with Elijah Wood. Um, <laughs> you'll find it. <laughs> grand piano. Uh, not grand piano. That was two you, years ago. <laughs> It's after Grand Piano. Okay, uh, wait, on. hang on. Uh, the Last Witch Hunter. Okay, now now I'm on his IMDb page. Okay. Uh, set Fire to the Stars. There you go. Set okay. Fire to the Stars. Why wouldn't I remember that? It's such an easy title to remember. Good grief. Anyway, so... Uh, uh, Similar of kind of a deal, yes. but but uh, yeah, end of the tour. I uh, Yeah, I mean, it's Jason Siegel shows... Here's, here's the thing about his performance. It's very Jason Siegel-y. But it's also very good. So he somehow finds that groove between where he's not stretching too far, but he kind of still captures the essence of David Foster Wallace. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, he's Foster Wallace. Well, the thing with Foster he's not doing he's not doing a Daniel Day Lewis where he's completely inhabiting the guy. He, he's not that kind of an actor. So he creates his own kind of impersonation that's still partly him. So he doesn't have to stretch to where it's embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, having seen having seen Wallace in person, I got to say that it's like he's he seemed he's the type of author who probably killed himself because he was like eaten up by his own internal thoughts. Yeah. He's just this guy. You just, just can't turn like, it off. No. And yeah. so Siegel has to be able to portray that. And even seeing Siegel smile as Wallace yeah. feels weird. It is. You know, because uh, the real Wallace was such a tortured figure. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, it's it's good. And I, Jesse Eisenberg it, didn't make me uh, hate him like he usually does. Well, no, that's like his thing. Yeah. But uh, nice, anyway, see, so, nice seeing uh, Joan Cusack again, right? Yeah. Where's anyway. she been? So uh, Peter Bogdanovich is back and worse than ever in the oh, horrible no, no, She's no. Funny That Way. No, no, This no, is no. just terrible. I love oh, this movie. So, Why did you hate it's it's like so old fashioned. It's like an old-fashioned screwball comedy. No, it, it's like, it, what's it, up, Doc? It, it's it old. Was, what's up, Doc is hilarious. And so is this. No, no, no. Je, oh. You know who's good in this? Jennifer Aniston's funny. She's hysterical. Jennifer Aniston is the only one who nails that screwball field. Everybody oh, else is running great. around going, Owen Wilson still thinks he's in a Woody Allen film. <laughs> it's just it's just terrible. This thing is just... I just, love this uh, movie. I really? I think this is fantastic. I think it's so much fun. No, you it has no Reese charm. Or, come on, Reese Ifans. It has no charm or wit. And, then, and the, horrible, the horrible accent on Reese that... Reese Ifans is great. The horrible accent on the girl. Oh, oh my gosh, she's top. wonderful. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> the, girl, the girl, of course, is Imogen Poots, who is British, but she puts on a complete Brooklyn accent No, 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 here. no. She, she, she literally, if, if you took every resident of Brooklyn in the last hundred years <laughs> and, and, and combined their accents... It would not be her accent. Okay, the idea, basically, <laughs> just so that we explain this to people so that they don't know, what, uh, so they understand what we're fighting over. Uh, the idea is, it's all sort of from the point of view of a woman who is a star, played by Imogen Poots, who's talking like this. She's talking with a really, really thick New York accent, and she's a star now. And how'd she get started? Well, it, it, it's, in, it's implied in not so many words, and rather obviously, that she started as a call girl. And then we go, obviously, into the flashback episodes of how this unlikely stardom was manufactured and all of the characters that are in her orbit. And uh, Jennifer Aniston is so outrageously funny as just the biggest B-I-T-C-H 
who has ever walked the earth. She is so angry at everyone. Oh, and she's funny. She is funny. I like as, including and especially uh, Will Forte, who's who's her boyfriend, and who she just abuses with reckless abandon. It's just it's horrific. Reese Ifens is just this 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 Broadway Svengali. You're out of your mind. Out of your mind. I mean, By the way, on. can I can I say too about uh, Imogen Poots and the, the horrible accent? Oh. Not her fault. I mean, she I, she had that accent, and Bogdanovich said, "I like that. Let's keep doing that." I thought this so was that's so his fault. That, fun that's and on old him. Fashioned. Huh? I thought it was fun and old fashioned. Blu-ray and ultraviolet on this one. Uh, special features include a commentary with Bogdanovich, which is great. If there's anybody I could listen to for just hours oh, sure. and hours on end, it's Bogdanovich. Abs- 100%. Absolutely. He's just an absolute joy. I if agree. you've gotten sick of commentaries and you just kind of ignore them and don't care to listen to them and it's just something on, a, on a, a, an extra, you stop and just listen to this one. Even if you don't even watch the movie, just listen to Bogdanovich talk. It's wonderful. Uh, and he does it with his co-writer and producer. And right. then, uh, and then you no, know, no that's it. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Cage in Pay the Ghost. Evil walks among us. He's just, he, he's just, he's becoming like the Steven Seagal of like you know the what? A-list actor. Seriously, yes. if we wanted to make a movie and get Nick Cage to star in it, how much money do you think we'd have to pay him? Like if we well, did, he's still paying off a bunch of his taxes, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so if this. we can, if we can come up, if, let's say you and if you and I, if we can come up with his salary, he'll do anything, right? We know that. It, if it you can't just, be more than five million. Okay, I oh, can't. I'm, I'm sure. No for some, way. I'm sure for some of these films, it's a lot less. I'm like sure Left Behind, there's yeah. no way. I'll bet you could. I bet you could get him for two. Uh, seriously, I'll <laughs> bet. For, so I'll sad. bet you for some films. I bet you he will do. I'll bet you if it's if it's a, if it's like one week's worth of work, you could get him for like like uh, five I'll, or six hundred thousand. So why don't we do this? Let's yeah. let's let's Kickstarter f- campaign. Let kick, let's kickstart. Let's you and I kickstart like six hundred thousand dollars just to pay for Nick Cage's salary. And we'll just use my 7D, and we'll just, no, we don't even need a script. We'll just like like wing it for a week. We'll just make a movie with Nick Cage, and and it's money in the bank. No, his will because do because people for some, apparently they want to see him because he keeps doing stuff. His will do. We'll write an entire hundred page script. Yes, of which we need Nick Cage for three days. There you go. So we contact him. Yes. and we say, hey, we need you for three days. We show him the okay. script. He'll do it because we're going to pay him. Okay. All we ever shoot are his three days, and then we make it into a short film. <laughs> That's what we do. Good, no. <laughs> It could do, uh, yeah. Why not? Sure. Anyway, this is a uh, this is a. You know thr- what I'm telling you. Here's the thing. I, it, it's not, it won't happen today, and it won't happen tomorrow. But someday, Nick Cage is going to have one of those roles, like like Mickey Rourke and the Wrestler, where you'll be like, "Oh my God, he's back." Yeah. Well. And then he'll right. fall off the wagon again. And that'll be it. So he's a guy. His kid disappeared uh, a year earlier during Halloween, and now he's uh, he's having haunting these like hallucinations or whatever, and he's. He's got to, he, and now he's going to try to unravel, his, you know, where what happened to his kid a year earlier. I, it's, uh, you know, I mean, as far as missing kid movies go, there's nothing about this that makes sense. But I, I, as much as we're ripping on Nicolas Cage, you know what? He still has flashes of brilliance. That guy that we once knew, you know, who was so good in the '80s and everything, he still shows up once in a while. So I guess, I, you know, I guess, why not? Sure, if you're a Nick Cage fan, go for it. It's not good. It's not terrible. It's okay. Uh, speaking of not good, terrible, okay, the man from Uncle. Yeah. Now it's funny you get uh, you get uh, 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 what's his name uh, better than it has any reason to be. Well, you know what? People uh, mark this thing as being an automatic bomb. I was kind of intrigued. I was like, this might be kind of cool. And I have to say, it really it's look, it's a bunch of posturing. 
It is. It's very, it's incredibly handsome, vapid-looking guys wearing beautiful suits, driving cool cars. I don't like either of them. Either neither of them holds a candle to uh, Robert Vaughn or David uh, McCallum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, on the TV show, neither of them, not even close. They're just good-looking guys. Uh, that that being said, and we're talking about Army Hammer and uh, and Superman. So, uh, Henry Cavill, but it, yeah. it's it's, so, it's really it's really empty fun. But it's it, but what what keeps you going is uh, is the direction. Guy Ritchie, he just kind of he does his thing and he's got it down and he knows how to do that. And yes, it's completely routine, Guy Ritchie. But to see it kind of imposed on the man from Uncle, it's sort of like Guy Ritchie doing his version of James Bond. So I mean, there's some there's a thing to that. There is a thing. And that's a, and it's an okay thing. Uh, how the mighty have fallen, Mark. Uh, Trash is a Stephen Daldry film. Stephen Daldry. Stephen Daldry, who used to be kind of a routine Oscar nominee every year, you know, just Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot, The Hours. I mean, on and on and on. You know, he was the man. Martin uh, Sheen. The, yeah. Um, this is just uh, really unfortunate. It's not a bad film, but there's. It's hard to see why he. Why he would opt for this? It, it's it's so strange. There are certain guys, and you know you know who else has kind of gone this route, which just kind of disappeared down the rabbit hole after being kind of a big Oscar contender for a moment. Um, uh, what's his name? The guy did Shine. Jeffrey Rush? No, 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 no. The director. Oh, the director. Uh, uh, not Jim Sheridan. Uh, uh, no, the, he the did other one. Shine, then Snow Falling on Cedars. Yeah, no. Uh, and, uh, hang on, not Jim Sheridan. The other guy. Yeah. Wait, I is uh, 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 yeah. uh, is it no? Uh, yeah, yeah. You'll get it. Um, Scott Hicks. Scott Hicks just kind of poof. Poof. It's just strange, you know. It's like he, he was on the A list one year, and then now he's now he's gone. Anyway, Stephen Daldry, he'll make a comeback. I I have no doubt. But uh, this is just strange. Uh, it's essentially about these uh, these kids in Rio de Janeiro who come from the slums and they live off of garbage, and. Uh, a a let's just say a um a strange twist of fate happens and uh threatens to or, or certainly puts them on the road to completely changing their lives it sounds as though it might be magical but it's not really uh it it just it, it feels kind of like this was a great log line but nobody could ever quite flesh it out and that's really unfortunate it just isn't um it's not the deal, man. It's not the deal. Martin Sheen's in it. That's he's not a list anymore. Rooney Mara um, shows up in a lot of good movies, including Carol, which is going to be amazing when you see it this season. Bl- blow your mind how good that movie is. Uh, she could get an Oscar nomination for that. But this just anyway, it's called Trash, and it's a uh, Blu-ray and ultraviolet. Uh, I mean, is it is it worth seeing? Sure. Is it up to the snuff with a Stephen Daldry? film of the past, you know, The Hours, The Reader, the Absolutely not. Billy Elliot. No, not even close. Not even in the ballpark. It's just, I have to believe he's getting better offers than this. You know, I've got to believe it. But Well, whatever. he must not be because he's doing that. That's yeah, strange. Oh, anyway. Zardoz. Oh, well, speaking of Zardoz, how about, uh, how about Zarafa? Did you see Zarafa? No. Okay. <laughs> Animated. I don't think it's uh, eligible for our animation award. You saw Animalisa. It's good. It is, Charlie huh? Kaufman. Yeah. And by and I saw Charlie Kaufman in the restaurant oh, cuz I, I ate at the some restaurant. Yeah. And was he with Nick Cage? See that's no. a, see how I brought that back. I kind of tied it in. Good job. Clever, right? Yeah. Charlie Kaufman by the way is very Charlie Kaufman looking. I'm sure he is. Very disheveled. Which is very Nick Cage Short, Cage-looking. disheveled, huh? No, Nick Cage is not short and disheveled. Yeah. But he but he plays Charlie Kaufman right in. Yes, he does. Yes. 
Carry on. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Anyway, so uh, Zarafa is a is an okay animated film. It's a two D animation, old school. Uh, did not get a theatrical release, but it is it is getting a rather lush uh, Blu ray release from Cinedime. And uh, it, uh, it, it this is that style of animation that happens when you try to sort of adapt anime uh, fundamentals to Western animation. Uh, in any case, the uh, the whole thing is inspired by a the true story of the very first time that a giraffe was brought to France. That is essentially the story here. Oh, uh, stupid is, giraffe! It is kind of Disney esque. Uh, it's like Disney sideways and down a couple of notches, uh, but it's it's family friendly. It's very very sweet, and the whole you know story of this orphan boy and uh, you know starting in Africa and everything. It's it's fine. It's it's very sweet. So uh, it's you know it's and it's it's short and it uh, it's good for the kids. So I I can't not recommend it. Really, Zarafa. <laughs> it's a, it's a sweet film. I sneezed, Wade. I know you. You did. didn't say Gazuntite. Uh, God bless you. Uh, Go to hell. You said nothing. Atesue. No. In honor of the people in Paris, Aww. I will do a little French thing. Aww. By the way, um, uh, before we get into that next film, yes, I want to segue to something to that because we just talked about Martin Sheen, and I don't like to be a gossip monger on the show, but this is a thing that's going around, and uh, I, I did get some 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 queries, so I, I we're going to go a little bit tabloid here, but the rumor mongering about this. Mega star in quotes, who is HIV positive. Have you been following this whole thing? No. What are you? You've talking not about? been following this. No, not at all. Are you serious? I'm serious. Wait a minute. You, are you given your job, this really went under your radar. Well, we would not report that. So we would not report something like that unless it was confirmed okay. via reps. So, or so here's the thing. Here's the, here's what's are you going not on. are you not going to say who we're talking about? What's well, the point? Here's what's the, the point of the story? If you don't tell me who we're talking about. So so essentially, the tabloids are going nuts, and and the gossip columns are going nuts over the over a leak now that a that there is a quote unquote mega superstar who is uh, HIV positive and has been for two years, and who acquired it somewhere between endless liaisons with porn stars and hookers. And uh, Eddie Murphy and, and transsexuals and uh, and and you know drug fueled madness. I'm and so all this Google, stuff. I'm googling this right. Google now. it right now. Apparently, just the partying life was just never ending, over and over, and injecting drugs and who knows what. And this mega star is fa- is panicking now because apparently there are porn stars who have come up HIV positive who are going to sue him. Hollywood gossip over HIV-infected actors' identity goes into overdrive as rumors spread online. That's it. can't believe you haven't been... Yeah. This is... Wow. This is off your well, grid. First of, well, first of all, the celebrity has not been named. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I, you know what it is? Our network, to our credit, what little credit we can give our network, yeah. they're not going to start floating rumors about, about well, gay actors having HIV and who's that. That's well, not, here's the thing. I mean, it is apparently a bisexual actor, but no one knows he's bisexual. Yeah, anyway, it's, bottom all line. Too, it's too so, sorted for us. We so, don't do that. so bottom line, there is, uh, there is a particular site that has said they're, they're, they're trying to sort of do this by process of deduction. TMZ. So they have said if you are a celebrity or a representative of a celebrity who has been rumored to be this person, um, send us you know an email at the following address so that we can add you to the list of people that it is not. So they have this huge running paragraph. It is definitely not. And it goes all the way down, you know, Bradley Cooper, Johnny Depp, Tom Hanks. And, 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 you know, and so, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, all these people, it is not. 
nobody's written. Leo's rep is not going to. No, but these people apparently. This is apparently the running list of people. It definitely is not. But They're where? The, but where they, they get those get the, names from? They want apparently they 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 are their reps actually or really, their Leo, agents. Leo, Leo DiCaprio's rep is gonna is gonna call whatever TMZ or some low red radar if, online. If, if, say, to, we're not gay. We're, we're no, not bi. Get, we're to, not no, HIV. But to get your name off of the rumor list is what they're trying to do. I would they're tell trying them, to, I, I would tell them screw off. Yeah, well, they're trying to get their name out of the rumor mill. You would be shocked at all the names that are in there that it is definitely I, I not. This but this is what has, this is what has led to the rumor that it's that it's Charlie. And that's Charlie Sheen. Yeah, that's where the rumor is. Well, because that's because well, but that wouldn't be. But see, that wouldn't be surprising. Well, that's he, the thing. That's he, what, he, he trumpets that. He <laughs> loves it. He lives for that. But, he doesn't know, hide that. And he his Twitter that. feed, his Twitter feed has gone dark. You know, I mean, it's a whole. It's there's a whole thing. So I, uh, you know, I, I certainly pray that it's not. I certainly hope that it's not because Charlie's, uh, despite all of the all the nonsense, you know. Uh, I've known Charlie since we were kids, and despite all the nonsense and the madness and the partying and whatnot, there's a really good guy there. And uh, so it, that also is my prayer that it definitely is not. And I hope the rumor mongering is put to rest very, very soon because uh, this this thing is just taking on a life of its <laughs> own. It really is. By the way, I, okay, first of all, wait, this, the, okay, this cannot be a two-hour show because we're talking yes. about this all the time. But I have to say that yeah. one, one article does say – most speculation being overwhelmingly pointed at Charlie Sheen. Exactly. Other names that have been floated include Robert Downey Jr., Colin Farrell, Sean Penn, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, uh, most of whom I think are on that list now that it definitely is not. So. Yeah. All right, Wade. So, Tangerine. Yeah. Now, Tangerine is uh, notable for two reasons. <clears throat> One is it was shot on an iPhone 5. Now, <laughs> now the movie was not just shot on an iPhone five. And they're the pinching iPhone. themselves. If only they'd have waited for the iPhone six exactly. S plus. Well, it which, would look so way, much I better. I bought one. I did too. So, do you like it? I love it. I do like. I like it Fantastic. a lot. Fantastic. Yes, it's I, as I said before. It's, yeah. it's 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 an iPad Mini Mini. It is. Well, I like it. Anyway, the iPad, uh, the iPad, the iPhone five that uh, the director Sean Baker uh, shot this on was equipped with with brand new anamorphic lenses that just fit an iPhone yeah, five. So yes. it wasn't like he took an iPhone five like you and I would. But they're but they're anamorphic lenses that they never change. It's the same lens. It's the same focal length for the whole movie. They, it's not like he switches it up and you'll get you know different focal lengths like you would with a real movie where you know okay we'll throw on a fifty. All right, now we throw on the twenty five. Now we throw on the you know which which the, for this film is fine. Because it's a very uh, raw, street-level sort of a movie. Yeah. It still looks like a home movie, but carry on. The other thing that's notable is about it. it, uh, it uh, <laughs> Wade wants me to say something I'm not going to say. It's, um, <laughs> it is a rather raw, rambunctious, sometimes funny, sometimes it's, seedy and dirty look at uh, a, a, a start- particular subsection of L.A., Life. There's a stretch of Santa Monica Boulevard, which, let, let, which, which I drive by every morning. Every morning. Look, here. if you live in Los Angeles, here's how it goes. Santa Monica Boulevard is one of the streets, like Wilshire and others, that goes all the way from Santa Monica and the coast, zaps all the way through Beverly Hills and into downtown Los Angeles. So Santa Monica Boulevard uh, it, it has a lot of different stretches. And once you get through Century City and Beverly Hills, then you come to West Hollywood, the stretch that they commonly call Boys Town, which is, you know, West Hollywood is a predominantly gay community, and that's where, you know, a lot of, a lot of gay bars are, and a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it is... It but is, that's west of where this movie takes. Right. And then when you get past that section, then you get into a really weird seedy section that is where the emigre Russian community has settled, and it's also where you start getting all the transsexuals 
and there's a lot of prostitution, and it gets really kind of seedy and weird. And that whole Russian transsexual mix is. Oh, I, is, I I used to work right there. Yeah, you, you know I, the I deal. I saw them. Yeah, I mean, there's like a Russian video store next to a gay porn theater, and it's it's very and there'd be like two little old Russian ladies carrying their vodka. No, there was a guy passing a prostitute. It's a strange stretch of town. There there was a guy, and by the way, because when I watched this film Tangerine, yeah. which is which is an interesting movie, I have to say I. For the first ten minutes, I thought I do not want to spend the next ninety minutes with a bunch of. Essentially, uh, essentially, the story here is that the the director Sean Baker, Baker. right, uh, who's very kind of you know he makes these edgy avant garde kind he's of. He's like Larry Clark. Larry, he's Larry Clark, right? Yeah, kind of same kind of deal. So he wanted to take an iPhone and and shoot a movie with. He met these these uh, these transsexuals in uh, in in uh, West Hollywood, and they are not prostitutes. But he decided to you know cast these non actors as prostitutes in a movie about you know one of them looking for her her pimp and you know he's cheated on her and all this kind of stuff so there's a so there's so this is essentially what it is and it gets very raw and hysterical and then it gets into this this armenian cab, cab driver, driver yeah. and his family and it gets very uncomfortable that stuff with him is very awkward you know and i though? really didn't like it at that point but it just kind of pushed some bad buttons with me but what's funny is that as i was watching the film i thought this film is dirty, it is seedy, it is unpleasant, I want to take a shower, but that probably meant that the film was kind of working on you. It is. And that's I okay. Wish, I wish it were a little more... A little less raw? I was, I, let's put it this way. I was never unaware of the fact that I was watching a movie that was shot on an iPhone. The acting, the photography, it never really made me disappear into that world like a Larry Clark film would, where if I'm watching kids, the disturbing thing about kids is I forget I'm actually watching a movie. I feel like I'm a fly on the wall of some place where I just don't want to be. Here, I never felt like I forgot it was a movie. All right, by the way, I just so. have to finish my story. Cause, yes, uh, finish your story. Because nobody cares, but I'll finish it anyway. Uh, so I used to work in the area on Santa Monica and the Highland where this movie takes place. The whole movie yep. takes place in this yep. area. Yep. That's the block that mm-hmm. they go up and down. And it's true. The people who walk up and down this block, a lot of them are uh, prostitutes, a lot of them are transsexuals or gay or bi. There was this one guy, true story, and and I was I was young when I used to work in this on this block. Oh, I know. And I was like pretty, twelve. I was a little, twelve, thirteen. I, I was a twelve-year-old sex worker. No, uh, I was working at a TV company. Anyway, yes. uh, so scary. So there was this guy. He was about six-two, mm-hmm. uh, African American guy. Yep. He would walk up and down the street with no shirt. He was totally ripped. Mm-hmm. One half of his face was painted white, and the other half of his face was painted black. And? Like that episode of Star Trek with Frank Gorshin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what what this guy was. Let that be your last battlefield. Yes, I don't think Mm -hmm. he was making any statement on that, but and he would walk him down the block, tall, ripped, shirtless, with his face painted, and that's all he would do all day long. Did Frank Gorshin ever act on a television show as a character that did not wear leotards? Kind of did that all the time, didn't he? I don't know who yeah. you are. Anyway, all right. Well, that's uh, Tangerine, and it's it's got some special features, uh, mostly featurette stuff. But uh, it's interesting behind the scenes stuff because it's interesting how the film was made. So um, you know, we we have mixed feelings about it. But I, it look, it's a it's a subculture of Los Angeles that's never been dealt with in a movie before. So there is there is that. Uh, and we are your friends. Good grief. This thing's Aww. out on DVD and Blu-ray. They only sent it to us on DVD because apparently they're, they, they've lost enough money. Yeah. And uh, You realize that this... I, 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 just... I, I think the... 
didn't this movie have the worst per screen average of any film opening over two thousand screens? Like yep. it had the worst yep. of all time. It just, it just. I mean, I, I, they, they clearly thought, hey, Zac Efron and as a who, DJ who in a movie about electronic dance music, who, it can't lose. Who gives a crap? Because the kids love that stuff. They love the shizzle. Who cares? No, they don't. They're going to see actual DJs in clubs who are playing actual electronic dance music. Why would they pay money to see Zac Efron posing as a DJ? Why would they pay money to see Zac Efron do anything? He can't open a movie. He can't. No, it's true. Anyway. So big mistake. One of the few misfires for uh, for working title uh, in recent years. Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner usually have the touch of gold, but this is not what they should be doing. So uh, we are your friends. Definitely, definitely miss that one. Uh, Jimmy's Hall by the uh, great Ken Loach, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of minor Ken Loach. It is kind of minor Ken Loach. However, it's Ken good, Loach is good. However, good. you know Loach. I mean, how many movies does he have left in him? I think he was. Good. Was he not going to retire? Uh, was he, there some talk of him retiring, or was that um, was that the one of Mike, Mike Lee? Mike, Mike Lee. Why, why do I always get Mike Lee? Do, am I the only one who gets Mike Lee and Ken Loach mixed up? No, I mean their films are, are well. They come from the same. They they worked together in, in English television, so I mean they they have similar backgrounds. They're both very kind of blue collary guys. But I love Ken Loach. You know, Ken, Ken Loach is a very you know he's a socialist. He's a very social justicey kind of guy. He makes movies that are very messagey. Mike Lee is just a curmudgeon, and he will just he will insult you and belittle you if you ask him a stupid question. He's the best. He's all about. He's all about the acting. Anyway, this is a very minor key um, Ken Loach, but still very good. Uh, you know, it's it's a usual combination of, you know, there's politics in here as Wade says. He's very socialist, uh, but it's still very entertaining. He's uh, he's just a great craftsman of this sort of like working class kind of uh, story. And uh, look, it's life is messy and complex, and no one is better at uh, conveying the messy and complex life of uh, people across the pond than uh, Ken Loach. So I really go. like this a lot. Again, minor Ken Loach, but I liked it a lot. I I agree. It's uh, it is a decent film. All right, Mark, I'm going to burn through the uh, the gay titles, and then we'll move on to uh, television or classic movies. I'll let you you pick which. Uh, you know the the highlight here. Uh, the reason we're going through this, Big Eden, Big Eden, kind of a big deal actually. This is a, a significant crossover film. Um, really was a kind of a big deal at the time, and uh, this is the 15th anniversary Blu-ray edition of Big Eden, which includes cast reunion and uh, a whole bunch of other fun things on it, featurettes, uh, commentary that was originally part of the original edition 15 years ago. Uh, great performances by Ari Gross, who is always a really, really good actor, doesn't show up enough. Louise Fletcher, of course, from uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, the essentially this is the uh, if you don't know this uh, if you don't if you're not familiar with the four, the, uh, the film from 15 years ago which really had a lot of festival success um, it was uh, this is not a gay film per se I mean it is a gay subject matter but it wasn't sort of limited to uh, to uh, gay film festivals and whatnot uh, it's essentially a guy who goes back to uh, his home in uh, in Montana to um, sort of express his love to his best friend who never really knew and it is a fascinating beautifully made really sensitively acted film and uh, definitely worth checking out and Big Eden from Wolf is out now in a lovely 15th anniversary Blu-ray edition um, also available uh, from Alive Mind the uh, A division of Kino is Goodbye um, Golly Mountain an eco-sexual love story this is a film by and starring Beth Stevens and uh, Annie Sprinkle, her partner. Now, Annie Sprinkle... Annie Sprinkle? Yes, Annie Sprinkle. Uh, Annie Sprinkle is kind of a celebrity unto herself. 
you can uh, go and uh, Google her. She's got, you know, her whole kind of pornographic uh, legacy is very well known. But what this basically is, is this is, they they call themselves ecosexuals because they're trying, in this case, they're trying to save the Appalachians. And I, I, you know what, the, the whole... The whole idea here is is a very weird one that they want to somehow make the mountain part of their union. They want to marry the mountain. It's strange. It's weird. It's kind of funny. Not bad. Uh, I found it. Um, uh, I, I had to keep watching it because I thought it was just gonna. It, it, you just don't know where it's gonna go. It's just weird. Uh, then we also have. Uh, as long as we're on the, uh, we just talked about tangerine. As long as we're on the uh, the transsexual bandwagon, why not? Let's go all the way. Mala mala. Uh, from Strand is a uh, a kind of a, a they they call it a landmark documentary. I don't know if it's a landmark. There've been other documentaries like this. It is in Spanish. It's a Spanish film, um, but it is essentially uh, a, 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 a looking at a uh, you know it's a tra- it's just about transgender people. Right, what can I tell you? It's a documentary about transgender tra- people. It's a documentary about transgender people. It's a documentary about transgenderism. Uh, and, um, you know, does it in a very mature and interesting way, a compelling way. Uh, and that is kind of in the conversation right now, thanks to Jeffrey Tambor winning uh, awards for that yes, Amazon series. For, uh, yeah, Transparent. Transparent. So uh, that adds to the conversation. We also have the uh, not-so-bad um, in the grayscale, also from Wolf. Um, kind of, uh, you know, sort of a sort of sort of routine. I wouldn't call this crossover. This is kind of sort of routine, uh, but respectably made um, uh, male gay stuff. Uh, we also have along the same lines a reunion from Aristical, uh, slightly less interesting. Uh, Liz in September is a uh, a very very good film from the uh, French director Fina Torres, who uh, previously won an award at Cannes. It is based on a novel and um, actually very, very nicely shot. I, a little a little thin by way of story. Um, it's based on a play which has lesbian themes in it. Um, but it's, it is, you know, it's got that Euro sheen to it. And uh, it, it, it gets away from the plainness, the theatricality a little bit. But, um, you know, nice, nice Mediterranean backdrop and uh, some good performances. If you're a fan of Eastsiders, that this is also from Wolf. Uh, Eastsiders is in its second season, and uh, I'm I'm only vaguely familiar with the series, but uh, I guess others are. And then we have a quartet of films from TLA, uh, which include Supernatural, um, Everlasting Love, which is a manufacturer-on-demand title. Uh, Dishonored Bodies, and then the one that is probably most significant, uh, Jess and James, which uh, got a lot of uh, festival exposure and uh, is actually pretty pretty well done, pretty well acted. Uh, I wouldn't call this a crossover either, but it's in Spanish, so it uh, you know it feels. You know, if it's in a foreign language, it just feels feels foreign. like it feels it feels significant. It feels important. It depends on the language. Yeah, sure. Sort of languages make things sound lame you know what i have to say uh, english not a pretty language well it is french is a pretty language french is a pretty language swedish is a pretty language it is not uh mandarin if spoken by a woman can be wonderful and it's woman dead's woman oh stop that's a joke i would have come up with that's not funny in other words a bad joke 
Yeah, something do those, like that. Do those, do uh, those. Okay, which, these? Yeah, the ones right there. Okay. Do good. all those. Uh, are we doing all these today? Uh, well, we're going to try to get through as much as we can, because next week is the holiday show. It's all gifts and holiday stuff and, you know, well, all then that kind go, of... Go, go, go. All right, all that kind of jazz. You. All right, blah, rock on. Uh, let me just do these real quickly here. Uh, Gene Autry Collection 12, uh, four more Gene Autry movies that you've probably never heard of, but if, if you got the first 11 volumes, why, why stop now? Uh, Sagebrush Troubadour, Ride Ranger Ride, uh, Yodlin Kid from Pine Ridge, and Goldmine in the Sky. All Yee-haw. of them are exactly the same. Every Gene Autry movie is just like every other one I'm finding out. And then, uh, real quickly, we uh, Tim and I talked about last week the uh, sequel to the original Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Mean, uh, Machine. And this week, uh, they finally got us the original Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine uh, with Vincent Price and Frankie Avalon and Dwayne Hickman. And, of course, Susan Hart in a bikini. Uh, this is from Kino Lorber, Studio uh, Classics, a, uh, a wonderful uh, thing that they've mined from the 20th and MGM Library. Directed by Norman Tarag, who, of course, did a lot of great comedies of the day. And Vincent Price is priceless. Truly priceless. He is Vincent Priceless in this. Uh, a lot of fun. I, I think this movie is just a gas. I do. Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Me Machine, the original Fembots. Mark. Oh, my, uh, yes. am I saying something? There you go. Uh, a bullet for Joey. I will only recommend because it was directed by Lewis Allen, my step grandfather. Yay! Yay! She. Uh, it was funny because we talked about Trumbo before the show started, and Lewis, who was my father's third wife's, my Lewis Allen was my father's don't, don't, third don't, wife's don't break your brain. stepfather. Of course, my he father's yes, third wife's stepfather. There so I go. am. Related vaguely by marriage to Lewis Allen. Oh, my Who is director of, director of uh, uh, Bullet for Joey. Um, this is, okay, it's, it's, it's an okay film. It, it, it tries to combine all sorts of, like, sub-genres. Like, it's got the Canadian police, it's got foreign spies, it's got uh, American gangsters. So there's a lot going on here, but it's got a good cast. George Raft, Edward G. Robinson, uh, you know, top line this thing. And so, look, if, if you like this kind of stuff, this is from 1955, Kino Lorber. They always do a good job with this uh, this kind of material. So, um, yeah, I would definitely check out, if you're into, like, screen tough guys, you like that kind of stuff from the 40s and 50s, uh, you know, minor Edward G. Robinson and George Raft, but still a good movie, uh, Bullet for Joey. Yeah. I was not a fan of the troll films because um, all those troll films came out at a time when um, I just didn't like seeing these types of movies now that I'm a little bit older and, you know, I'm watching them now and I'm not that easily scared anymore. Uh, they're kind of campy and stupid. And when I say campy and stupid, I, I, I really mean campy and stupid. Now, the original Troll, uh, you got to check that out because it co-stars uh, Julie Louis-Roberts. Uh, Julie Louis-Roberts. Julie Louis-Dreyfus. And Julie Louis-Dreyfus, there was a time... Now, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was always yeah. a pretty woman. Yes. She was never like an unattractive lady. No. But there was a time. Yeah. And to see that time, you should check out Troll. Because Troll is from, you know, like 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Julia Louis-Dreyfus was hot. That was kind of uh, right after her, her SNL days, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 86. Yeah, it would have yeah, been, been, right? Yeah. been right after that, yeah. And then, unfortunately, they made Troll 2, which it looks like they made on a much smaller budget with a much less interesting uh, cast. So um, I would pass on Troll 2, although when this uh, Blu-ray collection is Troll 1 and 2, but still, all you really need is the original Troll. 
uh, I pass on Trolls. All right. Uh, now we have Monty Python and the Holy Grail, 40th anniversary. Now, this movie has been out 17,000 times on <laughs> Blu-ray and DVD and, 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 and half-inch and three-quarter-inch tape. So, you know, the what they do here is they give you some new – they give you a new Q&A with some of the Pythons. And sure, that's fine. But a lot of this stuff was on previous Blu-ray and DVD iterations. So uh, I, I I would just – look – if you don't own this at all, you might as well get this. Mm-hmm. But if you already own one, there's no reason to get the 40th anniversary Blu-ray of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Which, by the way, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's something very controversial. Monty Python movies, yes. hilarious. Yes. Monty Python TV shows, lame. Yeah. Lame. I know. Monty Python TV, lame. I know. Monty Python movies, hilarious. I agree. How, how could that be? I don't You do agree. not agree. I don't agree. You, I'm you, just you, trying you to, love I'm just it all, trying, right? I'm just trying to shut you up so <laughs> I don't argue with you. Okay. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, so, uh, Living in Oblivion has never been on Blu-ray. It is now on Blu-ray. The Tom DeCillo film uh, that won the Screenplay Award at the Sundance Film Festival is now enjoying its 20th anniversary, and they have finally put it out on Blu-ray. So thank you, Shout Factory, uh, who always seems to come up with the right stuff at the right time. Uh, the Living in Oblivion, you know, it's interesting because uh, Tom DeCillo reunited with uh, Steve Buscemi some years later, actually just a few years ago, uh, 2005 on a film which my wife was working on at the time so I got to you remember this I went to New York for uh, for like a month I remember that and you you, remember you, that? you, and you, you were I going to screenings my, and you loved going to screenings by rolling out of bed at your hotel I loved crossing it. the street well partly because you know my wife would get up every day and she'd like she'd roll on downtown to go to the production offices where she was cracking the whip and doing whatever it was that she was hired to do down there she was working for the production company, not the production. There's a difference. So the company, the Canadian company that funded it, they hired her. Anyway, um, so uh, I basically just spent her per diem every day just walking around New York and going to places and having, having sandwiches and sightseeing. And, and, and whenever there was a screening, oh, hey, look, there are seven screening rooms that are five-minute walk from our hotel at, uh, at 49th and Broadway, which was brilliant. And, uh, you know, it, I, I, that was just, I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to go home. It, don't have to sit in traffic. Don't have to drive. Literally walk five minutes. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Because a lot of those screening rooms are in Times Square. They're right around Times Square. Right around. And the Broadway screening room, literally, I could roll out of bed. Forget, don't brush my teeth. Don't you know, fix my hair, shower, nothing. Just literally roll out of bed, throw on a robe and some slippers, take the elevator down, cross the street to the, to the Broadway building, Right across 49th, take the elevator up to like the 6th or 7th floor, and there's a screening room. Sit down, watch the movie five minutes from bed to theater seat. That was wow. the best I have ever – I can't even get across my house in five minutes. Incredible. Anyway, Living in Oblivion, 20th anniversary. Uh, one of the funniest movies ever about making movies. Steve Buscemi is just the, the poor, most misbegotten filmmaker ever. A uh, bunch of uh, brand-new interviews with Tom DeCillo and the producer and cast members and – all the other fun stuff in here. James LeGros, the most underrated indie di- uh, actor in history. I still love him. He shows up a lot on TV now, but he's great. Of course, audio commentary, and uh, it's great. Just is a really, really great film. And for those who don't know, James LeGros in this film basically plays Brad Pitt. The movie is just, it's, it's Tom DeCillo had such a horrible time directing Brad Pitt on, uh, what was the, the previous thing? Uh, Sammy, Johnny, whatever the movie that was that they did before this. Star Wars. His, where he has the big pompadour. Anyway. He hated working oh, with not it. Johnny Dangerously, Johnny, not John, uh, uh, Johnny uh, something, Bobby Hollywood, whatever it was. <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember that movie. That movie, yeah, everyone's forgotten about that one. But was it like, like half animation or something? Was there something going it, on there? It, well, it, yeah, I can't remember. 
it's such a forgettable film. But Tom DeCillo hated working with it. So it just couldn't stand him. He was such a prima donna at the time, apparently. So he made Living in Oblivion and cast James LeGros as just like to mock him, sort of the way that uh, Billy Wilder cast that, that dumb blonde in the apartment as a way of getting back at Marilyn Monroe for giving him such a nightmare on, uh, on Some Like It Hot. Showing so, him three hours late. Yeah. So anyway, and forgetting her lines and be drunk and need to put the lines in the drawers so that she could even remember what to say. Anyway, so Living in Oblivion winds up being a better film. Oh, Johnny Handsome. That's it. That's it. Johnny Handsome. See, we can't oh, even remember. Cool World was the one that was. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what it was. Animation. Johnny Handsome is such a forgettable movie. I barely even remember it. Anyway. Now, Johnny Dangerously. Uh, there you go. Anyway, so let's, uh, let's do a little Woody Allen from uh, Twilight Time. Now, uh, Shadows and Fog is uh, Woody's uh, homage to German Expressionism. And, uh, you know, this was back when Woody was getting into the serious stuff. This is the early 90s. And I don't know that the world was ready for Woody to get into serious stuff at this point, but. I have to say, if you go back and rewatch Shadows and Fog, it's kind of a good movie. Yeah. And it's got some funny stuff in it. There's a funny line where he says, uh, in the movie, Woody plays this clerk who's, who helps this band of vigilantes help find a serial killer. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, so it's, it's shot like, it's, it's sort of like his version of M, in a yeah. sense. And there's some funny line about how he goes, hey, I think it's I, a funny film. I, I, I have the strength of one small boy with polio. <laughs> I don't know, it was a funny line. Uh, anyway, so Shadows and Fog, it's, uh, you can see, you know, Woody's working out some new stuff now. You know, he's yeah. kind of in a transition period. It's a fun film. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, good. Un- it's really underrated, I think. Uh, and we have a bunch of other stuff from Twilight Time. What a uh, what a great company! Um, this is uh, this is the rest of their uh, their line from, uh, and, and all of them now are in these clear Blu-ray cases, which are really classy looking. And you get these at ScreenArchives.com. Uh, and uh, Sense and Sensibility finally out. I can't believe they were able to snatch this away from Sony and Columbia. Uh, Ang Lee directing an Oscar-winning screenplay by Emma Thompson. Uh, produced by Lindsay Duran, wonderful producer, and uh, the, you know the incredible Jane Austen adaptation. Uh, it's just wonderful. There's e- nothing about this film that is bad. It is an absolutely delightful film uh, in every conceivable way. The isolated score track that is uh, kind of uh, the, the the hallmark of the uh, Twilight Time releases is gorgeous, absolutely wonderful. Patrick Doyle does one of his best ever scores. It's just it's it's a step above what he, even what he does for Branna. Um, you also get uh, audio commentary with Emma Thompson and Lindsay Duran, audio commentary with Ang Lee and James Seamus, his longtime partner and, uh, and producer. Uh, and then uh, just tons of great behind-the-scenes featurettes. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, of course, Emma Thompson's Golden Globe acceptance speech. Uh, fantastic. That, that alone is like the pick of the week. Uh, also from Twilight Time, uh, the uh, a limited edition release of Fatherland. This is from Film Four. This is a Ken Loach film. Th- as long as we're you know talking Ken Loach, this is kind of an unsung Ken Loach film that a lot of people never even knew existed from 1986. And um, uh, I I wouldn't say it is uh, his best film. But it's one of his most unusual films. It's definitely a uh, kind of a stretch for him a little bit. It still has the the political themes. Uh, it's very much dealing with the you know this East German songwriter who you know is now kind of he's escaped East Germany, but now he's facing additional pressures. He's getting out of his comfort zone and so forth. And um, it, it's Ken Loach being less sort of. Usually he deals with groups of figures. This is very focused on one guy. It's pretty interesting. And then there is Scorpio from Michael Winner, which is uh, featuring a very aging Burt Lancaster, an aging Alain Delon, an aging Paul Schofield, 
all sort of kind of trying to keep up with each other in 1973. Um, could, you know, Michael Winner, leave it death alone wish. with Death Wish. Leave it with Death Wish. This is not Death Wish. Um, this is a, it's a minor film, but it's, uh, if you like those actors, I guess there's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a spy thriller. It's not brilliant. Uh, much more interesting is Broken Lance, actually. Uh, as long as we're talking about aging actors and aging Spencer Tracy is like wine or cheese. He's just, uh, he's just getting better and not moldy. Uh, Richard Widmark is always great. This is a, this is a really, really cool, uh, Western from the 1950s, uh, beautifully directed by Eddie Dimitrick and, uh, you know, Earl Holloman, E.G. Marshall. I mean, it's just all those crusty old guys. It's really, really good. Um, it's, it's a rancher film. And, uh, you know, young Robert Wagner shows up in this as well. Uh, rancher movies are, you know, kind of a dime a dozen from that era, but not all of them have Spencer Tracy. He is just the man. And then uh, let me burn through the uh, Fox MOD titles real quickly here, and then I will turn you over to a couple of those anthology things. Um, here's some of the stuff out from Fox MOD in the Cinema Archives, as well as their MGM line, the limited edition collection. Uh, we have The Silent Call. Uh, starring Gail Russell, uh, true story uh, about a uh, you know a, a, a poor family that moves from Nevada to Los Angeles, and uh, they have to you know abandon their dog, and then it becomes a kid and a dog movie. It's pretty, it's okay. Uh, Sniper's Ridge, uh, kind of a routine uh, war movie. Uh, takes place during the Korean War. Not 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 terrible, not great. Uh, it's got some decent performances in it, but you know, kind of a definitely a B movie from the era. Uh, Snows of Kilimanjaro, absolutely uh, fantastic film with uh, Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner. This has been out before. You can get this in all kinds of uh, uh, illegitimate, uh, uh, you know, uh, editions that are that you know public domain things. It's not really in the public domain, but there's a lot of a lot of copies of it floating around. So this thing has been out in a million times in really really bad editions. This looks great, even though it's MOD, much much better than the others. So Gregory Peck, Susan Hayward, Ava Gardner. Uh, really turn it up for uh, producer Daryl Zanuck and director Henry King in The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Uh, Living on Tokyo Time um, from uh, director Stephen Okazaki. Got a little bit of uh, love back in the, uh, the late 80s. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a, it's kind of an Asian-American uh, indie thing. A little bit, of, little bit of punk attitude, a little bit of rock attitude. Um, it's it's an okay indie, kind of a kind of an artifact everyone's forgotten about. Uh, Hotel Colonial is in no way a kind of a film that I would ever say anything wonderful about. But if you want a cheesy movie with John Savage and Rachel Ward looking, you know, looking pretty slick, and Robert Duvall being his usual cranky self, I I guess this is an '80s artifact that fits the bill. Uh, Mr. Billion, pretty much forgotten. Uh, the only thing that's really worth watching about this is the Dave Grusin music, which is uh, kind of fabulous. Otherwise, it's a it's a it's really really dated. Um, Jonathan Kaplan directed this in uh, the late seventies. This is one of those movies that just got completely overshadowed by everything else because it was just a style. It's going out of style. Uh, Slim Pickens, Jackie Gleason shows up a little bit, uh, but not really a terribly memorable film. Uh, the Old Gun. Uh, also not terribly memorable, um, but, uh, you know, Romy Schneider is in it. It's set during World War II. It's, a, you know, essentially a, a, a kind of an occupation in France film. And then the last one that I'm going to make mention of, because this is kind of a big deal, is Kissed. Um, Kissed was, uh, in, from 1997, uh, I, I thought this film would really, really launch a lot of people. 
Uh, boy, was I wrong. Molly Parker is an amazing actress. She's a Canadian actress. She stars in this. Never really had the career that she deserved. I still keep hoping that she'll just hit it big. Um, but we're so many years after the fact. This is directed by Lynn Stopkowicz, who I thought was also going to become a huge thing at a certain point. The, the bottom line here is this is about a woman who uh, develops an obsession with and a compulsion to uh, copulate with corpses at the morgue. You like that, Mark? We've all been there. Yeah, we have. Um, as weird and freakish as that sounds, it is an amazingly cool and haunting movie, and I highly recommend it, even if it is on MOD. I wish it were on Blu-ray because it's incredibly well photographed. Really some innovative light, light, lighting in the movie, but too bad. Not there. Okay, wait. Let's do some uh, couple anthology uh, DVDs for you. We have uh, three packaged together with a baseball theme from the good folks at Mill Creek Entertainment. We have uh, Kill the Umpire, uh, the Jackie Robinson story, and Save at Home. These three, again, are on the same DVD. The two here you want to check out um, are the Jackie Robinson story because it stars Jackie Robinson. So uh, definitely um, a very interesting film. Jackie Robinson, you know, he's not a professional actor, but it's not bad. Yeah. You know, and obviously his story is, is iconic, as it deserves to be. And the other one is Safe at Home, which is not a great film. However, it does star Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. It's about this kid who tells all of his friends that he knows uh, Mantle and Maris, and he's going to, you know, you know, he's buddies with them. And so he's got to, of course, try to find them by going to spring training. Um, so Mantle and Maris, Maris, you know, he's such, he was such a shy guy, even during that whole, you know, even during the whole home run chase, he was just so shy, retiring, didn't want to talk to the press, just wanted to do his job. So the reason why he was starring a film, which is like, you know, the least private thing you can do, I don't know, but, uh, still historically, uh, there's value in that. Also, Mill Creek came up with three, uh, boxing films, um, there's the Joe Lewis story with Paul Stewart. Uh, that one's okay. William Holden and Barbara Stanwyck starring Golden Boy. That one's pretty good. But the best one is Requiem for a Heavyweight starring Anthony Quinn and Jackie Gleason and Mickey Rooney. That one, of course, was written by Rod Serling, who created The Twilight Zone. So that one is definitely the keeper there. Uh, Golden Boy being number two just by virtue of the cast, William Holden and Barbara Stanwyck. Then uh, we have also I, – I like this a lot. This is a two-DVD set called the 1955 Rock and Roll Review and Rhythm and Blues Review. These were both recorded in 1955 at the Apollo Theater. Unbelievable music acts from back in the day. Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Nat King Cole, uh, Joe Turner, one of the originators of rock and roll, or what became rock and roll, um, Dinah Washington, and it's just just great stuff. It's obviously black and white, but um, a lot of great songs, Shake, Rattle, and Roll, and... You know, better be on my way, and your cash ain't nothing. So I think this thing is just terrific. Um, called uh, the 1955 Rock and Roll Review and Rhythm and Blues Review. Get it for your grandparents. And then yeah. finally, we have uh, three DVD sets of uh, dark film mysteries. Uh, this is it's a bunch of stuff that you know. Uh, they're short-ish films. Uh, they run the gamut. Some are good. Some are not good. Really, all just packaged together. A little sloppily, but still there is good stuff in here. The best one, I think, is Detour, the, the classic uh, Detour, which is like only 67 minutes, but it's still kind of a classic film. But there's still good stuff here, too. Uh, Scarlet Street is on here. Uh, you got to love that. Kansas City Confidential is on here. Uh, the Stranger with Orson Welles, that's on, that's on here, too. So it's actually not a bad co uh, compilation of uh, mystery movies, but still, you know, I, I think uh, 
you know, some of these are best bought as individual DVDs, and some of these are even on Blu-ray. So, uh, but if you want them all for a cheap price, stuff like The Stranger with Orson Welles, and of course the classic Detour and, and Scarlet Street with uh, Edward G. Robinson, check out uh, Dark Film Mysteries. And uh, one of the best films uh, of the 90s and one of the coolest films released this week is uh, – actually, this was released a few weeks ago. Oscilloscope uh, has come out with a really cool anniversary release of The City La Ciudad from 1999. Uh, indie filmmaker David Riker, this was his debut film. He took uh, years and years and years in the 1990s to go uh, shoot this with just basically non-actors and uh, amateur actors. Just throwing together one of the, it's kind of like Eraserhead and David Lynch, right? He just took the forever to put together this black and white film that sort of wove together uh, a collection of different stories of Latin American immigrants coming to New York City and struggling in various ways. It is poetic, it is haunting, it is beautiful, it is touching, it is romantic, it is disturbing. All of those things. It's just a really wonderful textured film, and it uh, comes with a great half-hour documentary about the making of the film and a whole bunch of uh, conversations with uh, Riker and his original actors. Um, it's fantastic. Oscilloscope really kills it with this. Uh, La Ciudad, one of the coolest films of the 90s, uh, hopefully getting rediscovered. The House on Carroll Street with Kelly McGillis and Jeff Daniels, kind of a, one of those, uh, those low-level uh, Orion films from the late 80s, didn't really go anywhere. Orion, you know, they won a number of Best Picture awards and then uh, had a bunch of films that just kind of uh, didn't really do too well, which is why the company eventually went under. I would have expected better from Peter Yates, but um, unfortunately it just, uh, it just doesn't. It's, uh, you know, it's, is it a romance? Is it a thriller? Is it a drama? Uh, nobody really knows. And it, uh, the, it takes place during the uh, House on American Activities Committee uh, uh, hearings and tries to be a political thriller at the same time never really does anything. It, it, is, is it a little bit of a film noir? Is it? Is it? It, it doesn't really know. It's between all those things. So uh, Kelly McGillis and Jeff Daniels are decent, and um, you know Mandy Patinkin is fine, but uh, other, otherwise it is it is definitely disappointing. Peter Yates. That's on Blu-ray. And then a trio from the Warner Archive collection that are a, an absolute delight. Jack Benny. Uh, it's in the air. Anything that Jack Benny is in, it is, wor- is worth watching. This is just wonderful uh, with Una Merkel on top of that. That's just a classic pairing. Um, really d- unbelievable. Uh, you know, the, the dealing with the with bookies and how you how you fix a you know like a horse race and stuff. It's really a lot of fun. Um, Alec Guinness and Gina Lollobrigida in Hotel Paradiso which is also an awful lot of fun. Uh, Alec Guinness, people forget how funny Alec Guinness could be. This is Alec Guinness just in, in absolute great screwball mode, um, as good as he was in all of his Ealing comedies and all of that stuff. Uh, really just a del- uh, an absolutely delightful uh, comedy um, uh, based on a, uh, a French farce, I believe. But uh, in any case, it's uh, really, really fun. Still takes place in Paris. Just a lot of wackiness. And then we've talked in the past about Forbidden Hollywood, Mark. They, uh, they always keep getting these great pre-code films together. And this is volume nine of Forbidden Hollywood. If you have the other eight, you've got to get this one. Big City Blues, Hell's Highway, The Cabin in Cotton, and uh, When Ladies Meet and I Sell Anything. Um, l- interesting stuff in all of them. Absolutely. Uh, Robert Montgomery is particularly interesting with, uh, with Myrna Loy in uh, When Ladies Meet. Uh, if you like either of them, you will be sort of semi-shocked at what goes on in this one. 
Betty Davis, of course, is uh, what you want to watch in uh, the uh, Cabin in the Cotton. And uh, the uh, Joan Blondell is uh, is the big uh, attraction for director Mervyn Leroy in Big City Blues. So some big names there for sure. Definitely worth checking out. And uh, Mark, we're not going to. Uh, doesn't look like we're going to get to any of our television, so we will hold off on that and uh, and dip into our Vox Box now. Wait, wait, can I do the thing? Do the thing. <gasps> it's Vox Box. Oh. Uh, I surprised you. You did. Hello, Wade and Mark. This is Tim Teach, longtime listener, first time Vox Boxer. Uh, just a quick question for you. I am an amateur filmmaker. And I was just wondering, what commentaries would you suggest that an amateur filmmaker listen to that they could learn the most from? Thank you. Keep up the good work. Love the show. Boy, that that is like thank thank you for the question, Tim. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for you. You've been with us for so long, so it's nice to have a, a first time Vox Box from you. Um, I can uh, I can name a couple. Yeah. Anything from Steven Soderbergh. Oh, that's good. True. Right? The Absolutely. Limey, that's a good one. For sure, yeah. Um, I also tend to like uh, William Friedkin. Uh, I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to say, uh, even though I, I'm not a fan of Kevin Smith's movies, his commentaries are great. Oh, sure. They're Absolutely. really good. Yeah. Um, but by the way, throw this in. Soderbergh did a commentary for The Third Man. Yeah. And that's fantastic. really good. Yeah. And again, you know, Friedkin, To Live and Die in L.A., really good. Um, I, I would probably, and French Connection, I would stay away from uh, audio commentaries by like, you know, Roger Reed. I mean, as, as Roger Reed was iconic, but if you want to yeah. learn about filmmaking, I would maybe not do the ones by Roger Ebert or ones that have a lot of actors in them. You really want the directors. Uh, you know, Coppola did commentary for the Godfather films. And and for Apocalypse Now, which is a great commentary. Which is a great Apocalypse commentary, Now too. Is, I, I would, I'd put Apocalypse Now right at the top. And then, um, but certainly, like, The Exorcist, uh, Friedkin sure. for The Exorcist is great. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Uh, Limey is great. Um, used cars, you don't really, I always mention that. just because But that's because it's, it's funny. funny. It's hysterical. You don't really learn anything about filmmaking, but it's just really funny. Um... What else is there? Uh, there's got to be some good Ridley Scott ones in there somewhere, right? He's a little dry, but still, I can't, you know. I can't think of any that I I just love off the top of my head. But um, Cameron's done a few. Uh, Cameron did did one for Aliens, which, which is, is good, not bad, which is pretty because you know Cameron obviously he's a very technical guy, very obsessive guy. So his audio commentaries you tend to get a lot of that kind of stuff. Godfather and Apocalypse Now I got to put right near the top. Um, and, and I got to put Clerks up there too because it's even though the movie's not good in my opinion, the commentary is good and you learn a lot about his low budget indie filmmaking process and how that thing came together. So I would for for Tim's purposes, I would say that's a good one. I'll give you one more. Yeah. Because I'm on a roll now. Oh, Terry Gilliam Brazil. That's a good that one. Is the, the perhaps the greatest of all time. It's just so unbelievably entertaining. How well? Okay, this one not entertaining, but yes. he tends to speak in technical film terms. Michael Mann did an audio commentary for Thief. Yeah. So Michael Mann has done commentaries before. He's a good one. Michael and, Mann. And you know there are a couple. Uh, not that these are filmmaking related, but there have been a couple for Spinal Tap. One of them serious, and one of them all in character. Uh, that was the old Criterion, right? Yeah, the, criteria, the original Criterion release had them. Have. All, they had had them all in, in, in character, which is uh, pretty priceless. Um, again, you don't learn quite so much. And uh, boy, I wish I could think of some Scorsese or some Lumet ones because Lumet just talks. They both talk so well about the craft. Well, just read to, you read Lumet's book, read making Lumet's movies. Book, that's yeah. the way. To, that's really the way to experience his thoughts on movies. Um, network, network. There's my there's my Lumet. Uh, oh, so 
That's a great. That's a great commentary. That is a really great commentary. All right. Well, there it is. Um, thank you, Tim. We really appreciate the uh, the question. Please, everyone else, send us your Vox boxes. Send us your listener mails. Um, and send us your new intros at gods at digigods.com, please. And uh, check out digigods.com when the, uh, when the show is up, when you listen to it. All the links for the shows, uh, all, the, all the movies covered, everything that we talk about. And uh, please tell us how to improve it. We're still using the format, the template that uh, was pioneered by, uh, by IGN. But we are happy to switch it up. We want it to be uh, user-friendly. So if there's anything that you want out of the way that metadata and the listings for the uh, for the movies are, are represented let us know we'll switch it up we'll do the best that we can and with that our show is over and uh, again our, our thoughts uh, are with all of you in Paris and in Beirut and uh, we hope the world becomes a better place very soon and um, you know we'll uh, we'll try to brighten your spirits in a bigger way next week with our our, an- our big annual holiday and gift guide show it's gonna be a lot of fun good night good night